Thank you. Thank you. So that was celebrating. And if that was for me, I think that's supposed to be for the world. And I think we can do better than that. Let's give the Lord. Father, we are so grateful that you're here with us today. Thank you because you give us an assurance that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you because you have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you for engraving our names in the palms of your hand. Thank you for shedding your precious blood for us. Thank you for rising from the dead so that we can rise up in the newness of life. Thank you for our homes. Thank you for what you have begun to do. Thank you because you was begun a good thing for bringing to perfection on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are so grateful this morning as we come to the table of your word. We ask that you will feed us afresh. We ask, Lord, that you will break the word and break the seal of the book of life and that our lives will be transformed. We give you thanks and we give you your precious Holy Spirit to move mightily in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, first of all, I want to thank you on behalf of my wife and I for inviting us for date night this weekend. It has been a wonderful, wonderful time. Of refreshing in the presence of the Lord but also in fellowship and to see people that we've not seen for quite some time it's such a joy to see each and every one of you thank you so much it has been a real joy to be with you to say also that it has been very tiring to be with you yesterday I didn't know that my bones were getting old um, but thank God I didn't dance as much as my wife but even with that I still woke up a bit late today so please forgive us for coming late. That was due to me being so exhausted. Amen. Well, I want to share a few talks which, by the Spirit of God, I believe um, God has already been preparing our minds through the Bible reading today, where Jesus has the question, who am I? And I think that's a question that we ask in our marriage all the time, that we are asking our partners, our partners are asking us, but much more than in our marriage, in our lives is constant unfolding of who are you and that's the title of my message this morning who are you who are you are you just the ordinary flesh and blood that we see the physical person that is sitting down or that is getting involved with somebody else or is there much more to you than what is presented. And I want you to really, really think for a moment on that subject. Who are you? Because if you don't know who you are, it will be difficult for you to unveil yourself in your marriage or in any relationship that you are involved in. So who are you? Just, I just want that thought to sink in. Who are you? Now, I want to go to um, a text in the Bible. I thought we were going to Ezekiel, but I'm, I'm moved to go into the Gospel of John. And we'll start from chapter 2. And I want to read it because I'm setting it as a capping of 
our third day today together in celebrating our marriages. And for those who are still trusting the Lord for marriage, it will give you context to some of the things that the Lord wants to share with us today. On the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. First of all, Jesus has to be the center of our marriage. Jesus was called to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, now you know what wine is. Wine is beautiful, it's very intoxicating. Wine has, if, if you're a wine coin or so, you know all the different tastes of wine. You know all the different um, brands of wine that there is. So here in this marriage, the Jewish marriage are always very, very enjoyable one-week festival of love, of demonstration of love, of demonstration of fellowship, of family, of reunion. So the wine is a measure of how much you appreciate the gathering together of everybody who comes to celebrate with you the gift of marriage, the exchange of love, the demonstration of love, the sharing of life together. So wine is always such a major thing. If you look through the Old Testament, each time we have communion, you always have bread and wine, signifying that God really wants us to have real intimacy and communion with one another, and he wants love, joy, peace to be the emblem of that relationship that we share with him. So, they wanted wine. The mother of Jesus said unto them, they have no wine. I want you to stop there and just pause for a minute before we go into who we are. Suddenly, the mother of Jesus knew something in this marriage context and setting that nobody else knew. She said, they have no wine. I want you to note that. She didn't say the wine has finished. She was alluding to the fact that the glue to any marriage is the involvement of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not the center of your life, obviously he cannot be the center of your marriage. So when Jesus asked the question from his disciple, who do men say that I am, who you say Jesus is, it's a revelation of who you are. Until you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, until you know who Christ is, that is the rock foundation of your life, and that all your values, everything you can ever hope to be, springs from who Christ is in your life, what we will see is not the authentic or the real you. What we will see is a shadow of you. And many people go to the grave without finding who they are because they never know who Christ Jesus is. In the first book of John, in John chapter 1, he says that with him is light, that that light is the light of men. So Jesus is the light, he is the life, is the one who lights every man that cometh into the world. And until I have that understanding, please hear me, my life would just be a form rather than a reality of who God is in my life. Now being a form doesn't mean you are not successful by what we sounded, but it simply means you are not living according to the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. So Mary says to them, they have no wine, to Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, woman, what a 
have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. Then his mother said something that was very instructive, which is where I want to take our discourse from. His mother said unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, everybody read the last two words, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. This is where the dilemma of finding who we are is in the body of Christ. The doing of what he says unto me. And until, as our sister said earlier, the word of God becomes my meditation. Until there is a doing of the word of God, I cannot discover who I am in Christ. So as we round up this celebration of love, I want to remind you that the Bible commands us to love. Look at your neighbor and say, we are commanded to love. So do it. I want us to look at a few scriptures so that we can see that this commandment is all over the pages of the New Testament. Let's begin from John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. John 13, 34, 35. If you can speed it for me, then we can move very quickly through that. John 13, 34, 35. With that. If I should go ahead while my son is looking for that. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You love one another as I have loved you. It didn't say you should love one another as you are attracted to each other. It didn't say you should love one another by the commonalities of the things you, have, you, you like to do together. It says that you love one another as I have loved you. The love that Jesus is talking about here is the love of God, the agape love of God. A man cannot thoroughly love his wife or a wife love her husband the way God wants if the love of God is not in their hearts. I command you to love one another and then he gives us the pattern of the love as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. Do you love the way Jesus commands? Or do you love the way you think you ought to love or the way you think you want to be loved? The scripture is very clear. The pattern for our marriages, the real wine for our marriages, the real glue for any relationship in the body of Christ is to love as Jesus loves. Go to John 15, let's look at verse 12, 13, and 17. We'll move our scriptures very quickly and then we'll look at a few things. 15, are we there? 13. Okay, he says, Greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So here Jesus is defining the kind of love that he loves us with and the kind of love we should love one another. He says, lay down your life. Wouldn't that solve every problem in marriages? If I can lay down my life for my wife and my wife can lay down her life for me. Well, that is the commandment of scripture. Lay down your life. When you lay down your life, you lay down your pride. 
When you lay down your life, you lay down your personal preferences. When you lay down your life, you lay down everything and say you are more important. I want to love you and see you the way God loves you and sees you. I don't want to love you and construct you in the way I think you should be. Oftentimes in many of our relationships, we are constantly looking to change the other party. Well, the scripture says, that's not what I want from you. I want you to lay your life down. I want you to say, I am nothing, you are everything. Because it is when I understand how important it is to love the other person the way God loves them, that I enter into the flowering and the richness and the fullness of love. Can you lay down your life for your husband? Can you lay down your life for your children? In actual fact, it's not just within the marriage setting alone. Can you lay down your life for the brethren? Can you lay down your life for your friends? Greater love has no man than this that he lays down his life for his friend. So you see here, Jesus is twinning the concept of sacrificing, of putting others before you, and defining it as love. Hello? Hello. All right, let's go to Romans 13, verse 8 to 10. Again, Jesus begins to unfold this through the pages of Scripture. We begin to see deeper and deeper revelation of this kind of love that we are called to. We are a love community. So Romans 13. He says, Oh, no man anything except to love one another. Oh, no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. That is when you lay your life down, when you put others before you, the scripture says you have fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witnesses, you shall not covert. If there is any other commandment, the Bible says all of them are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we see another component of the love of God. That in sacrificing, in laying my life down, I'm actually demonstrating a greater love for me. That is when I understand that the higher love, the higher life that I've been called to live is a life of love, I begin to enter into the realities of the supernatural. Everybody say, I'm called to love. I will do it. I'm called to love. I will do it. So it goes on, it says, love does no harm to neighbor. Therefore, love, again, it tells you, is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law, okay? So stay with that thought. Law is the fulfillment of the law. If we love the way God wants us to love, there will be no problem in our homes. If we love the way God commands in his word, there will be no disagreements. Therefore, the key to me having that binding relationship that unbreakable contract that our sister defined day before yesterday of what a covenant is, the key to ease is what? Is loving the way God commands, not the way the world dictates. The problem in the church is many of us think that how to love is what we see on television. 
what we see in the soaps, in film, in entertainment. But the reality is that we are called to a higher love that calls on you and I to lay our lives down for other people. Hello? All right, we're going somewhere with this. In 1 Corinthians 13, which you all know, we won't go into that because it's quite a long passage. We won't go into it. He talks about, actually, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. I want to pick a few thoughts from verse 4. Let's do verse 4 to 8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself and is not puffed up or arrogant or prideful. See, this kind of love brings peace and harmony in our home, in our churches, in our communities. Love does not behave rudely. He does not seek his own and is not provoked and thinks no evil. Everyone say, thinks no evil. Most of the problems we have in the relationship begins with the thoughts life. Begins with the things that you're thinking on the inside that is actually not right. Begins with the suspicions, the distrust, reading meanings, having perceptions about things that are not real or not true because you've not bothered to truly find out what is the reality. Not speaking the truth in love to one another. Yet the Bible commands us that what we think is so vital that in Philippians, it tells us that whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, whatsoever things are excellent, think on these things. See, the Bible is so rich, it tells you what to think on. Can you think on things that's lovely concerning your home, concerning your children, concerning your spouse? Can you think on things that are excellent? Can you think of things that are of good reports? Which means that when people bring a negative report, even when my children have done things wrong, and they bring that report, I always think the higher thought. Everybody say, think the higher thought. So I always say to them, I never say what they have done. I say, you are better than this. You are better than this. Why do I say that? That's what I think. Because I know the children that he has given me, they are for signs, they are for wonders. They are called to be the head and not the tail, to be above and not beneath. So I express that thought when I'm talking to them, even when it comes to discipline. I know you are better than what you've done. And I will praise you into becoming who God has called you to be. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. What it simply means is that rejoicing in iniquity is when we keep repeating the fault of the other party to them over and over and over again. Without realizing it, the more you are repeating it, you have become an accuser of the brethren. Hello? This is the closing session, so we've got to keep it real in line with scripture. Are you with me? Right? So each time you keep accusing your partner, rather than speaking words, kind words, what you're doing is you are robbing them of their identity. What you should be doing is actually calling the things that are not as though they are. Calling out who they really are in Christ Jesus. 
Rejoicing in the truth. The scripture says that to rejoice in the truth means that I know the truth of the word of God concerning this home. I know the truth of the word of God concerning our marriage. I know that God has called my wife to be a woman of virtue. A woman that is worth her weight in gold. A Proverbs 31 woman. She's an excellent woman. She walks with her hands and builds her own homes up. Her children call her blessed. And the more I repeat that, guess what? I am speaking the truth of scripture and I'm speaking it into my home. I know that God has called my husband to be a discreet man, a prudent man, a man who loves me as his wife, a man who sacrifices and gives himself up for me. The more you open your mouth and confess that, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What you are supposed to say is to say the truth. Speak the truth about scripture. Call your husband out because the day you got married, was the beginning of discovery. Just because you caught him or he caught you doesn't mean you've discovered each other. You have a lifetime to find each other out. Are you with me? And that means it's a journey of unveiling revelations of who that person is. But I have to help them by calling them out. See, God uses this language of calling out because he called his children out of the house of bondage. He called Israel out of Egypt. The same way he wants you to call your husband out of him. Call your wife out of her. Call her with the things that God says she is. Wake up and have an alphabet, A to Z, of great things to say about your spouse. In fact, let me give you this. Write it down. A to Z. A, my husband is amazing. Or my wife is amazing. B, my wife is beautiful. C, my wife is compassionate. She's considerate. D, my wife is she's desirable. E, she's efficient in everything that she does. F, she's fun-loving. Fun-loving. Faithful. G, she's godly. She's a godly woman that I love with all my heart. H, she's a woman who is humble and honest. I, she's a woman of integrity, a woman of intensity, a woman who is so desirable that I just love everything that God is doing about her. J, she's a woman who is joyful. K, she's a woman who is filled with the knowledge of God in all wisdom and understanding. And you can go on until you get to Z. You want me to continue to Z? I can see that. Right? L, she's loving. M, she's merciful. A great mother. N, she is neat. Tidy in all she does. O, she's one and only. My one and only. My one and only woman. P, she's pure. She's proficient in what she does. What's the next house open after P? Uh, Q. She's quick. Is it R? Q. Q. She's quick. <laughs> right? She's quick. R. She is respectful. S. She's steadfast. I can trust her. T. She's trustful. Trustworthy. She's tender. Olubumi is tender. What's the next after two? You, you, she, 
There's ability, tender, trust. You, she's a woman of understanding. You, children, help us with alphabet. V, V, V is next. V, she's a woman of virtue. If it's a man, it's a man of valor. Right? V, W, w she's winsome. She's wise. She's a wise woman. X, she's excellent. <laughs> this woman is excellent. Give me another one now. Why? She's youthful. My wife is forever young. Oh, she's still looking as gorgeous as the first time we met. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And Z, she's zealous for God. See, you can write these things down. But when you don't think about them, whatsoever things are lovely. Those are lovely thoughts about Olubomen. And you can have lovely thoughts about your partner. But if all your mind is looking for faults, whatever your mind looks for, your mind will find. I will say that again. Whatever your mind looks for, your mind will find. That's why suspicious people always have self-fulfilling prophecies. The same thing you are suspecting your husband of, guess what? Even if he has no intention of doing it, you have released the spirit of doing it unto him by your thoughts. Your thoughts will go into action and release the power to do those things unto him. So think good thoughts concerning yourselves, concerning your partner. Think great and noble thoughts. And I could go on and on through the page of scripture to see how he commands us to love. Which brings me to this question of this loving, how do we make it practical? I think um, Taya said to me, we want some things to take away that we can go and practice. Is that what you said to me? Yes, to take away. How many of us have heard about love language? Oh, okay, I'm in good company. All right, so I'm going to do a little quiz. What are the love languages? Quality time. Quality time, that's one. My brother at the back, he's touching your head now. <laughs> you put your hand up. Yeah. Um, There's obviously the physical. Side. Mm -hmm. Touch, physical no, touch. Physical touch. Physical touch. Physical touch, okay, touch. Yeah, okay. That's two. The sister at the back, you put your hand up, didn't you? Sorry? Yes, you did. So tell us one of the qualities. You have forgotten. Okay, that's fine. That's honest. I like that. See? That's a virtue. That's honest. Any other person? Oh. Acts of service. Acts of service. Service. So let's look at the five. The first one, gifts. Gifts. Let's look at Proverbs 19.6. Proverbs 19.6. Okay, many entreat the favor of nobility, and every man is a friend of one who gives gifts. So in our marriages, let's start learning how to give gifts. Now when I'm talking about gifts, I'm not talking of expensive gifts. I'm not talking of you spending all the savings on the house. You can give just the gift of a listening ear to your partner. You can give the gift of just recognizing them with words just like we've done now with my wife. You can give the gift of being there when needed. You can give the gifts of yourself to your husband 
or to your wife. That means that you are consciously doing something to benefit the other person. That's what a gift is. The person you're giving the gift to is not expecting it. That's why it's a gift. It's meant to be something that brings elements of surprise, that brings joy, that brings such an appreciation from the receiving party because they weren't expecting it. Your gift might be before my wife comes from work today, I'm going to cook her dinner. I'm going to do the dishes up. We know a couple that each time we go to their house, the husband will always sit in the living room, put his legs up and is watching telly. And the man can talk. The wife will be going up and down on the stairs trying to entertain us. So I will say, hey, brother, can we give them a hand? When he comes to our house, he sees me doing the dishes. And I can see the look of horror on his face, like you're not supposed to be doing this. But why don't you give your wife the gifts? See, all the love languages are interconnected. You can give the gift of service. You can give the gift of encouragement. And there is no one that despises a gift. Give the gift of good words to your partner, to your children, to your family. Each time I tell my children, anytime I post something on our WhatsApp chat group as a family, I always tell them I love them. Always. My son is 23. He's built like a giant. He's six foot seven. He's at home right now because he came to visit us from Brighton. And each time I speak with him, I tell him, I love you, son. I love you. There is nothing effeminate about that. I want him to know that he is loved by both mom and dad. That we appreciate him. We are giving him the gift of love. Not the duty of loving him as a parent, but we are also giving him the gift of love on a constant basis. Give yourself the gift of love. Hello. All right, let's look at service. John 13. Let's look at verse 1. And then we'll look at verse 4 and 5. Service. That's another one of the love language that I want you to go away with today. Service. Now, before the feast, is that John 13, 1? Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, look at what he did to demonstrate that love. In verse 4, he says that he rose from supper and laid aside his garments. To lay aside your garments is to lay aside the things that define you. To lay aside the things that you take comfort and shelter and pride in. To lay aside the things that even qualifies you as a person. The way you look, the way you dress. Lay it down. It took a towel. A towel means I'm ready for service. And he guarded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. To wash the disciples' feet, he has to stoop down. In our homes, until we learn the act of stooping down, my mother used to say, you stoop to conquer. Until you learn to stoop, you cannot conquer. But stooping down is an act of service. 
at the disciples' feet. Now, you have to understand that the disciples' feet were not clean feet like we have now. They have to walk very dusty roads for days on end. And in the intensity of the heat, in that climate, their foot stinks. But Jesus went past that. He went past the weaknesses of their physical feet. The dust, the smell, the stench. Just like we have to emotionally go past the weaknesses of our neighbors, the weaknesses of our partners, and seek the higher love because we are citizens of heaven and love them the way God loves them by laying aside our own garments. His garments signifies his majesty. You know the song we sing, you laid aside your majesty. Sometimes we have to do that in our marriages. If I put it in plain language, get off your high horse. Serve. And with the towel with which is he wiped their feet with the towel and he cleaned it, he rendered service. We are to serve one another. Out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. And as I said, this message is not just for married couple alone. It's for us in the church. Can you serve? Can you stop thinking about your own problems and your own challenges and look at who can I serve this week in this church? Can I serve them with a phone call? Can I serve them by taking something to them? I'm doing shopping. Can I buy an extra bag of fruits and take it to a sister who I know has three or four children? The kids will appreciate the fruits. It doesn't cost much to serve. Or let me put it in another way, it doesn't cost much to love. I want to make it more practical. See, when we first started and we had um, our kids were young then, in the church, in um, some of us who are with us in Bullet will remember Sister Wendy, right? What we used to do was that we used to have opportunities through our benevolent service for people who have things that they want to pass on to their children, to families, to all kinds of gifts. So there were a couple who had um, children who are grown much older than my own kids. And they asked my wife, they said, I hope you don't mind us giving you some clothes for your children. It was an act of love. And they brought two bags, two boxes of clothes for our first two daughters, who were just maybe about five or six or seven or eight then. Most of them were new clothes. Some of them were used, but they've washed them and ironed them and brought them to us and said, we want them to have it. We had people who were changing their furnitures, but who know other members of the church who had need. And they would say, rather than throwing this telly away, I want to bless you with this telly. I want you to have these furnitures because I can see that the furnitures you have might not be, they may be not as good as they ought to be now. That's serving one another. That's gifts of love. That's gifts of service. Bless you. 
Right? That's gifts of service. So the scripture tells us Jesus set an example so that we too can follow in that example. Number three, time. The first thing that my sister said there was quality time. You remember the story of um, Jacob in Genesis 29. Genesis 29, verse 18 to 20. Jacob so loved Rachel that he was prepared to spend time self-imposed, I call it self-imposed imprisonment, just to demonstrate his love for Rachel. For seven years, he chose to give quality time to demonstrate how much he loves this woman. Genesis 29, right? He chose to serve for seven extra years. How much quality time do you give to one another? Let me say something about quality time because one of our sisters asked yesterday, quality time is not the time you spend watching telly together. Hello. Hi. Is not the time that you spend doing stuff. It's the time that you set apart for each other. Quality time. Where I can have your undivided attention. Where I can have effective listening from you. Not that you're talking to me, I'm listening to you, but my fingers are tapping away on my mobile phone. I'm half attentive. I'm giving you 33% of myself, of my presence, of my heart, of my attention, of my intentions. Is to be present in the moment with your wife or with your husband. To be totally there. Because you see, when God says, I will never leave you and for nor forsake you, he's totally present with you. He's constantly there with you. Can you give the gift of time to one another? Can you give time when you go visiting? I find it funny. People say they come and visit me. And when they visit us, they're doing what? They're busy watching telly. I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? Don't you have telly at home? Why come to my house to come and watch telly? If you come to my house to visit me, you have told me you're bringing your presence. It's you that I want. I want to know you. I want to know what makes you think, what makes you feel, what makes you emote. I want to discover more about Brother Aki. I'm not taking it for granted that I've known him for almost 25 years. I want to know more. There are things that have changed since the last time I saw you. I had a, a, I don't know how far this is true. You will be able to correct me if I'm wrong. I hear that medically speaking, humans completely regenerate or renew themselves every 11 years. That is, every cell in your body changes over a period of 11 years. I don't know how far it's true. I heard it on the radio. So that's a disclaimer. Right? But that the human body has capacity for renewal. I know at least the liver can renew itself. So if your body has capacity for renewal, what makes you think you know that person? They are being changed every day, every moment in their thought life, in their attitudes, in their preferences, in their choices that they want. The things you think that they knew before or they liked before might not be what they like at this stage of life now. But if you are not paying attention and you are not giving yourself quality time to discover, 
to find out what's changed since the last time we had a heart-to-heart -heart talk. That's why there are crises in homes where somebody is feeling let down, but they cannot express it because you have not shown any interest in discovering more about that person. So they keep quiet, and then we repress these feelings, and before you know what's happening, it gets to tipping points, and we explode. And when we explode, your partner will say, but where did this come from? It came from you not paying attention. It came from you not giving quality time. Number four, touch. We talked about physical touch. I like the way the Bible describes it in the Songs of Songs, or the Songs of Solomon, in chapter seven. See, the Bible is very graphic. That's what I like about the Bible. If you take time to read it, it's graphic. Go to Songs of Solomon, or Songs of Songs for me, chapter seven. And I want you to see that. We read from verse 6 to 9. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delight. Stay there, stay there for the moment, stay there. See, he's talking to his loved ones. Right? The, loved, the lover is talking to the Lord. Just like I just used an expression of love, to Bumi now, he's talking, he said, how fair you are, my lover. How pleasant you are, my love. Oh, what delights you are. D, my love, you are delightful. F, my love, you are fair. P, my love, you are pleasant. Alphabets of love. How fair you are. Go to the next verse. Seven. The stature of yours is like a palm tree. Now he is describing the physical attribute of his loved one. Your breast is like clusters. He's taking delight in touching and feeling his lover. Next verse. I said I will go up to the palm tree. So he's saying I will go up to my loved one. I will take hold of his branches. I will hold you. I will touch you. Let now your breast be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples. Next verse. And the roof of your mouth like the best wine. He's talking about kissing her. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently like the lips of sleepers. I love the Bible. See, you, if, you, if you stick with the word of God, there will be no need for people going secretly into pornographic sites. Go to the scripture. It's clean description of everything you need there. Are you with me? Right? And it guides you. It tells you God wants you to touch one another. People tell me in counseling, the last time my husband held my hands, I cannot remember. And then the husband would turn around and say, are you a child that I should hold your hand? <laughs> I'm like, where are you coming from? This is a person, a human being like you, have five senses. They want to be touched and they want to feel. But if you don't understand your partner, how they emote, how they feel, how they want you to respond to them, marriage will start cracking up long before crisis or call. 
Because once you start failing in each of these things, over time you settle into a rut. You no longer know who you are. Are you with me? You no longer know who you are. So, the Bible tells you to touch them. Let me come to the last one, which is words. Let's go to Proverbs 16.24. Proverbs 16.24. And this is probably the most important one in defining who you are and how you should love within your relationship. He says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Let's read it together, actually. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Pleasant words. Pleasant words. Can we speak good words to one another? You know, when we were young, they used to say that sticks and bones um, and stones don't help me. Sticks and stones may help my bones, but words don't hurt me. But words don't hurt me. Okay, yes, I got that mixed up there. Right? But words don't hurt me. But that's a lie. The most hurtful thing in any relationship is words. So our words can hurt or our words can heal. It's a choice you have to make in your relationship every day. Our words can destroy or our words can build up. It's a choice. Our words can criticize and condemn or our words can be compassionate. It's a choice. Our words can be hateful or our words can be kind. It's a choice. Our words can be words of understanding or they can be words that brings confusion and disharmony is a choice. What kind of words are you speaking in your home, in your work of faith? Because if marriages are going to stand, they will stand on the quality of the words that we speak to one another. Is your words loving? Are you giving words of understanding? Are you giving words of kindness? I mentioned the law of kindness is in our lips. That is, each time she opens her mouth, it's a kind word. But if each time you speak to the partner, it is a put down, subtle criticism, a lack of belief or trust in them, it is so soul destroying we don't even realize it. When you tell your husband, no, you can't do that. He might not say anything, but you've just done something to his soul. Because if the words are not pleasant, if the words are not sweet, it means that bitterness will enter his soul. Anger will enter his soul. And it will not be held to his bones. That's what the scripture is saying. In fact, God himself said, your words against me are hard in Malachi. That's why God doesn't want you to bring your words to him. He wants you to bring his word to him. Can we change the way we speak to one another? Can we reach out in love and look for words 
that are constructive, words that build up, words that edify, words that are full of favor, of compassion, of goodness, of mercy, of grace. The Bible commands us that our words should be seasoned with grace. If our words are seasoned with grace, there will be less disagreement in the home. There will be less tension. Can you make a commitment today that I'm going to speak good words, kind words? Determine that you're going to change the way you speak. Because when you do that, everything will change in your world. In actual fact, words are so powerful that the Bible tells us that we frame our world by the words that we speak. He says death and life is in the power of your tongue by the words that you speak. Can you speak right words? It makes the difference between having joy, peace, and love and having tension, disharmony, and breakdown in your relationship. So let's commit to changing our words. So which brings me to who you are. How can I have grace to do all this? I must recognize three things. The first thing is that I am accepted in Christ. Everyone say, I am accepted. I am accepted in Christ. I am accepted in Christ. When you are accepted in Christ, you know that you're a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you don't have to behave the way the world expects you to behave anymore. Because you're a child of God, you now begin to think like God. You begin to act like God. You begin to say, John 1.12 says that I'm a child of God. He's given me the power to be a child of God. So let's say we are God's children. We are God's children. We are God's children. We are God's children. In John 15, the Bible tells us that we are his friends. When you are a friend of God, you will do what your friend does. Show me your friend and I'll tell you who you are. When God is your friend, you will be godly. When God is your friend, you will be godly. When God is your friend, you will be holy. When God is your friend, you will speak words of life, words of love, words that will bring light to darkness in your relationship. God is our friend. We are Christ's friend. John 15, 15. I also need to know, according to Romans 5, 1, that I have been justified. See, quit trying to prove yourself to anybody. The Bible says in Romans 5.1 that we have been justified by what? By faith. You are justified. And if you begin to see yourself the way God sees you, that God has accepted you, that God has justified you, that you are free from condemnation, it changes the way you relate in your marriage. Because when you see yourself as God sees you, you will walk tall. Everyone say, we are justified. We are justified. He also says to us in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he says, we are united with the Lord and we are one spirit with him. When you are united with the Lord, let me tell you, there are some words that you will feel incapable of saying in your marriage 
or in your relationship or to another believer for that matter. I used to work in the prison service many years ago. And one of the reasons my pastor came and reminded me one of the reasons why I decided I was quitting the service. I used to come home every day depressed because of the kind of words that people would speak within the prison environment. And I had to make a choice. I said to him, I said to our pastor then, I said, if I stay here one more year, I will lose my salvation. If you stay in an environment that will choke the life of God out of you, then you will become like the people of the world. For the scripture says we are united with the Lord and we are one spirit with him. It means that you are wonderful. It means that you have counsel. It means that you have understanding. You are quick in understanding. It means that you have the fear of the Lord. It means that you are a person of integrity. It means that you are holy. You are compassionate because you are united with the Lord. It means that you are a person who speaks truth at all times when you are united with the Lord. Let me take the last one and I'll stay there. In Ephesians 1.1, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he calls them saints. Everybody say, we are saints. We are saints. We are saints. That means that you have been set apart unto God. That means that you are a set apart person. You are holy. It means you can't act the way other people act anymore. You belong to God. And if you know you belong to God, it should affect the way you lead your life. The way you talk, the way you behave. It should show in your character. That's why in 1 Corinthians 12, he says that we are the body of Christ. We are his body. 12.27. We are his body. And when you recognize that you are the body of Christ, it shifts the way you live your life. So as we celebrate this week, I want you to take this till we meet again next year and the years ahead. I want you to go and start changing into who God says you are, first and foremost in your home. Your home is your first church. Let me say that again. Your home is your first church. And when you recognize that you are accepted in Christ, when you recognize, number two, that you are secure in Christ. And number three, that you are significant in Christ. It changes completely who you are. Amen? Amen. Now I want us to take some confessions and we are done. Because I think I can see, is that five minutes? Is that five minutes or zero minutes? Okay, good. So let's take these confessions together. Let's stand together. And I want us to take some confessions together. Who are we? So let's start by, we are accepted in Christ. Let's say like we mean it. I am accepted in Christ. I am God's child. I'm a friend of Christ. I have been justified. Justified by faith. Free from condemnation. I'm united to the Lord. And I'm one spirit with him. I have been bought with a price. 
I no longer belong to myself. I belong to God. And because I belong to God, I will show forth as a godly person in my home. As a wife, as a husband, I will show forth as a godly person. I will show forth as a member of the body of Christ. I declare I am a saint. The blood of Jesus makes me a saint. I have been set apart unto God. I have been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Spirit. And I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I know who I am in Christ. Therefore, I can love. I can give gifts of service. I can touch holily. I can serve holily. I can walk and give quality time to my partner. My words will be choice words. They will be pleasant words. They will be words that build up because the power of God is in me. The mercies of God are in me. My words will be excellent. My words will be words of compassion. Because I am complete in Christ. I have been free from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for my good. And it works together for the good of my marriage. Because the word of God is true. Our marriage is free from condemnation. It's free from any charge that can be laid against it. We cannot be separated from the love of God. The love of God controls us. The love of God is demonstrated in our homes. The love of God is demonstrated in all that we do. In the name of Jesus, I declare that my marriage is established. My marriage is anointed. My marriage is anointed. My marriage is sealed in Christ by the power of the Holy Ghost. Our marriage is hidden in Christ Jesus. Therefore, no weapon that is formed or fashioned against our marriage shall prosper. Because our marriage is hidden Christ. We have the power to be holy. We have the power to enjoy one another. We have the power to be filled with joy. We have the power to do righteous things in our homes. We are confident that God who has begun a good work in our marriage will bring it to perfection on the day of Jesus Christ. And because we are citizens of heaven, we see our marriages as a covenant, unbreakable covenant a binding covenant and we will service the covenant we will maintain the oath of the covenant we will maintain the seal of the covenant we will have constant communion around the word of God and by the spirit of God and in all our relationship with one another we will walk worthy of the law unto all pleasing 
our marriages will be unreproachable, undefilable, because the Spirit of God is building us up. And we will walk faithfully in the things that He has given us to do. I declare that I have sound mind, I have power, I have love, and I have grace and mercy to make my marriage work in the name of Jesus. And because I'm in Christ, I will love the way God loves. And my fruits of love will be evident in all that I do. Now I want you to speak to your spouse, if they're here. I want you to look them, just hold each other and, and look each other in, in, in the eye, eyeball to eyeball. Those of you who are still hoping to get married, you can do it by faith. Look them in the eye. Look them in the eye. The eye is the window to the soul. Look them deep in the eye and tell them. Believe me, you need to come back and look you in the eye too. I'm not saying something that I'm not doing myself. Okay. Let's see. I celebrate you, my love. I love you with the love of God. You're truly amazing. You're so beautiful. You're so compassionate. So considerate. You're delightful, my love. You are efficient. You are effective. You're full of faith. You're fun to be with. Oh, you're so godly. And you're so humble. So honest. You're a woman of integrity. You're a man of you're a woman of integrity. You are intense in all that you do. You are joyful. You are joyful that I delight in your presence. You are kind. You are kind. You show me the kindness of God in all your dealings with me. You are so loving that I appreciate you every day. You are merciful to me. You never take my weakness against me. You show me the mercies of God. The mercies of God. And I appreciate you. You're so neat. You're so nice. You're so noble in all that you do towards me. You are one and only to me. You are pure. You are perfect. You are pleasant. You are pleasant. You are quick to understand. You are quick to forgive. You are quick to comprehend. You are quick to serve. And I appreciate you. You are respectful. You are resplendent. And I appreciate you. You are steadfast. You are steadfast in everything that you do to me. My soul trusts you. You are so tender to me. You are quick and you are understanding. You are a person of valor. Virtue of Virtue or valor. Right? The men will say virtue, the women will say valor. Okay? You're a person of virtue. You're winsome. You're excellent. And you are youthful. The Lord is renewing your youth every day. You're a zealous woman of God. 
You're a zealous man of God. I love you. I celebrate our love. And I renew my dedication to the covenant of love all the days of my life. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may kiss your bride. Let's pray.